At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. All right, well, let's uh, continue to worship the Lord, opening the scriptures this morning. If you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we're continuing in this section of scripture, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and we have made it into chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I got the comment this past week. I was um, gathered with some friends, and one of them asked, you know, are we still in this giving series? And I said, yes, we actually have two more weeks. He's like, man, this is a, you know, five-week series on giving. And um, I said, yes, you know, what the apostle is actually going to refer to his redundancy um, and uh, what the ESV translates as his, su- uh, his, his superfluous writing, um, meaning even the apostle acknowledges that he's writing on this topic in excess. He's going on and on. Um, nevertheless, um, he's under the inspiration of the Spirit, we trust, and that these verses are here for our good. So um, let's continue to work our way through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and there's a lot of good stuff here. Um, For reference's sake, you remember sort of the narrative behind this is that there's been famine and there's been persecution uh, for the church in Jerusalem. Um, They're on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea, and these churches that have sprouted uh, along the northern eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea are now hoping to, or Paul is hoping, that these churches will support the church in Jerusalem through a financial gift to help care for the saints there. So that's sort of what's going on, and Paul's trying to do that for the Corinthians, to prepare their gift. Um, as, As he sent brothers, he mentions three brothers that he sent At the end of chapter 8, he's sending these three brothers ahead of him before he gets to Corinth himself, eventually making their way to Jerusalem with this gift. So that's sort of the narrative context. Um, A word is going to be used here, um, Achaia, um, that's actually the name of the region that the city of Corinth is in. So so Paul's going to refer to the Corinthians as Achaia because that's the larger region that Corinth is in, kind of like somebody referring to us as Michiganders. Well, we're in Lapeer and we're in Michigan. Um, so he, he hasn't used that word thus far um, in his uh, words that we've looked at. But that's what he, when he says Achaia, he's talking about Corinth. All right, so let's read these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. I boast about you saying that Achaia has been ready to give since last year. And your zeal to give has stirred up most of the Macedonians. 
But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in the matter, so that you may be ready to give, as you said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find out that you are not ready to give, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you think of the word ministry, what comes to your mind? For many of us, ministry makes us think of what pastors do, of what missionaries do. Ministry is what happens on Sunday mornings. Ministry is what happens in church buildings. And it's unfortunate that many Christians have this skewed perspective of ministry because that's not what we find in the pages of the New Testament. Rather than professional Christians, pastors, doing the work of the ministry, Scripture actually says that it's the pastor elder's job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12. And what the Apostle Paul shares in our passage today is that one of the ways we do ministry is by the way we give. He shows us that giving is more than money. It's ministry. Paul is writing to the Corinthians about a collection of giving, but in chapter 9, verse 1, he calls this act of giving, quote, the ministry for the saints. So again, he opens up chapter nine by saying, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. And if you go back to chapter eight, verse four, Paul has already referred to this act of generosity as ministry. There he says, the Macedonians begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief Of the saints, and that word relief there is the same Greek word, dikaianos. That same Greek word translated ministry in chapter 9, verse 1. For some reason, the ESV translates it relief in chapter 8, verse 4, and then ministry in chapter 9, verse 1. But the point is the same. This ministry of relieving the saints is ministry. This ministry of giving financially is ministry. Giving is more than money. It's ministry. But I'm convinced this isn't often how we view our giving. Most often we view giving not as ministry, but as a duty, as a matter of obedience. Most often we view giving not as an opportunity to minister, but as an obligation to fulfill. But the apostles' reference to our generosity as ministry, it's intended to 
encourage us to step into this ministry opportunity with joy and intentionality. So as we continue through these verses, we're gonna see Paul give three directions enabling the Corinthian Christians and enabling the Lapyrian Christians to fulfill our ministry of giving. Three directions enabling us to fulfill our ministry of giving. First, commit to give. Commit to give. So look back at verses one and two. Paul writes, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready to give since last year, and your zeal to give has stirred up many of the people of Macedonia. So Paul says, I know it's superfluous, I know it's excessive and redundant for me to keep writing to you about this ministry of giving to the saints because I know you're ready for it. I even boast about you to the people of Macedonia that you Corinthians are ready to give. You are zealous to give. In other words, you've committed to give. And Paul says that his report, to the Corinth, his report of the Corinthians' commitment to give has stirred up the Macedonians. So in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, you remember, Paul used the example of the Macedonians' generosity to stir up the Corinthians to give. Now he says that he did the same thing in reverse. Paul used the example of the Corinthians' commitment to give in order to stir up the Macedonians to commit to give. And if it's true of the Corinthians, and if it's true of the Macedonians, then it's to be true of the Lapyrians. We also are to be stirred up, to be zealous, to be ready, to commit, to give. In his book, The Happiness Hypothesis, social psychologist Jonathan Haidt writes this. He says, quote, choice and its frequent associate freedom are the unquestioned goods of modern life. Choice and its, and its frequent associate freedom are the unquestioned goods of modern life. In other words, choice and freedom, these are the things modern people want and it's what we assume we should want. It's unquestioned. It's taken for granted. Choice, freedom, self-autonomy, self-determination. And Haidt's insight about modern thinking is illustrated by the popular song, Let It Go, from the Disney movie Frozen. I'm sure most of you, like me, have seen it dozens of times by now. But you know how the song goes. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. So there's something beautiful and true about what Elsa is singing in these lyrics. I don't deny that. 
But the way this song has so resonated with our culture speaks to and highlights how much we value choice, freedom, self-autonomy, self-determination. And yet, God's word in the gospel calls us to commit And commitment includes saying yes to one thing and saying no to many other things. So we're locked in. We don't have all the choices, all the freedoms we once had after we make a commitment. And the commitment to give definitely includes giving up our choices, giving up our freedoms. When you give your money to church, you lose the freedom to spend that money in any any other way. You lose the choices of spending that money on something else. God's word in the gospel calls us to commit. God calls us to commit to Christ, swearing our fullest and deepest allegiance to the Lord Jesus. And God calls us to commit to the body of Christ, the church, God's people, and to commit to give to God's people. And not only that, what scripture teaches paradoxically is that we are our truest, freest self when we commit. We are our truest, freest self when we are not the ruler of our own lives, living in self-autonomy, choosing among all the choices as we like. No, we are our truest, freest self when we lock in and commit to God and commit to God's people, submitting ourselves to God and submitting ourselves to his people. The Macedonians, the Corinthians, and may it be that the Lapyrians also commit in this way. By the grace of God and by the power of God within you, resolve, commit to make God and his people the priority in your life they should be. Be ready, be zealous, be committed to give. Three directions enabling us to fulfill this ministry of giving, commit to give, and secondly, prepare to give. Prepare to give. So in verses one and two, Paul says, I know it's redundant, for me to keep writing about this ministry for the saints because I know you're ready to give. I even boasted to the Macedonians about your zeal to give, but, look at verse three as he continues. I know you're ready to give, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready to give as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready to give, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you being humiliated for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that the gift may be ready, be prepared. So Paul is in Macedonia, soon to make his way through Corinth, and he's headed to Jerusalem with this gift for the Jerusalem Christians. But before he leaves Macedonia, he sends three men, mentioned at the end of chapter eight, 
Before he leaves Macedonia, he sends these three men ahead of him to Corinth to make sure that the Corinthians' gift is ready to be collected. He doesn't want to get to Corinth making his way to Jerusalem, and the Corinthians' gift intended for Jerusalem isn't ready. So he sends these three men to make sure it's ready, and he says, I'll be humiliated if your gift isn't ready because I've been boasting about your willingness to give to the Macedonians. So if I show up with some Macedonians brother, with some Macedonian brothers and the gift isn't ready to give, I'm going to be humiliated, you're going to be humiliated. So he sends these three brothers to make sure this won't happen and that they're ready. So has there ever been a time when a restaurant you bragged to your spouse about? You boasted to your spouse about this restaurant, told them that it's the best restaurant, awesome food, great atmosphere, so you convinced them to go on a date with you to this restaurant, but they are really underwhelmed. And because of how much you bragged about this restaurant, you kind of feel embarrassed. Or has there ever been a movie that you boasted to your friend about. I love this movie. It's hilarious. It's a great story. Great acting. So you watch the movie with your friend, but you notice your friend nodding off during the movie, and they don't share your enthusiasm. And because of how much you boasted about this movie, you kind of feel silly. I know it's often that way for me with music. I will really like a song, but I'm almost timid to share it with Meg or anybody else because I take it personally. If they don't like it, then I feel ashamed. I wanna share because it's so good. I wanna boast about the song because it's so good, but I don't want the people I share it with not to like it because I'll feel like an idiot. Well, Paul has boasted about the Corinthians to the Macedonians. He's bragged on the Corinthians' readiness to give, and he essentially says, hey, don't make me look like an idiot. Don't humiliate me. Don't humiliate yourselves. I'm sending these three men ahead of me to help ensure that your commitment to give is fulfilled. In other words, I'm sending them to help prepare you, to prepare you to actually give. The Corinthians needed these three men to help them prepare to give. They needed help. And Paul provided it. What do you need to help you prepare for giving? Maybe this sermon series has been a wake-up call. Maybe there's been conversations with your life group members that have helped you prepare to give. But I want to offer at least a couple more opportunities to help. One is that we have a part of this church financial experts, professionals who have worked in finance and worked in budgeting and, and in giving in different ways. And I'm confident that without charge, they would be willing to meet with you to help you work through your financial life, how you can be a better steward of what God with what God has entrusted to you. So if your finances lack intentionality, if your personal or family budget lacks order and purpose, then please reach out, and we'd love to help you in the same way that Paul helped the Corinthians. A second resource that could help 
you prepare is this small book by Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. And we have several copies of this in the lobby free for you to take. We purchased these at a discount. Please shamelessly take them. Um, They're going to be on the Connect desk in the lobby. This book is a succinct, helpful, and biblical, captures what God's word teaches about how God's people are to treat their money. I've read it. It's really good and not a super demanding read. But the point is that the Corinthians needed help. In order to be prepared to give, they needed help. And Paul sends these three brothers to help them. The Corinthians needed help to get their finances in order, to get their generosity ready. And it's okay. It's oftentimes necessary for us to get help. Invite someone in. Reach out for help. That's what community is all about. That's what discipleship is all about. Helping one another follow Jesus. Three directions enabling us to fulfill the ministry of giving. Commit to give, prepare to give, and finally, cheerfully give. Cheerfully give. So start back in verse five, and we're gonna see Paul make this point a few times over the next couple of verses. Again, he writes, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that the gift may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So again, we see this balance in Paul's instruction on giving. On the one hand, he is calling them to give. He is speaking into their financial lives. On the other hand, he's calling them to make a willing gift, not an exaction. An exaction being a charge that someone is forced to pay. So when you get a hamburger from McDonald's, you are exacted the 99 cents or whatever it costs to get that hamburger. You have to pay it. You are forced to pay it. Paul says that's not what giving generously is about. Our giving towards the church and the relief of the poor is to be a willing gift, not an exaction. So if our giving towards the church is like, oh, I'm paying my God fee, I'm paying the cost of being a Christian, if that's how we approach giving, then we're missing the point. As Paul is going to say, we are to give cheerfully. When I pay for my hamburger, I'm not paying for it cheerfully. I'm paying for it necessarily. I'm paying for it because I have to. Cheerful giving is willful giving. Paul continues in verse six. He says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So you see, this is the mindset of the cheerful giver. He almost doesn't even see it as giving because the cheerful giver knows that when you sow bountifully, when you give bountifully, you also reap bountifully. This is the irony of generosity. Those who are greedy and refuse to give, in the end, they end up with less. 
Those who sow sparingly, reap sparingly. They held on to all their stuff so that they could have more stuff. They held on to all their money so that they could have more money. But in the end, they end up with less. Those who sow sparingly, reap sparingly. But those who gave away their resources will end up with more resources. Those who sow bountifully, reap bountifully. This is why Jesus says in Acts chapter 20 that it is better to give than receive. I pound this into the heads of my children during Christmas season. Hasn't scratched the surface yet, but Jesus said it. It is better to give than receive because in the end, those who give the most will receive the most. Those who sow bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, this truth enables cheerful giving, doesn't it? Because I know that when I give, I'm not losing. I'm gaining. Maybe God will bless me and I'll gain more financial material resources in this life. Maybe. Maybe not. But I know for sure through giving that God will bless me and I'll gain treasure in heaven where neither moth and rust destroy. We can cheerfully give because giving is getting in the end. Finally, look at verse 9. Paul comes straight out with it. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, we see this balance. On the one hand, each one must give. Each one, not just the rich ones, not just the people with some excess to spare. No, each one must give. On the other hand, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So again, the giving is not to be forced as if paying a fee as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Speaking of Disney movies, you guys remember the Disney version of Robin Hood that came out back in the day? You could also, I guess, think of the one with Kevin Costner, which I remembered being way better than it is. Watched it a few years ago, didn't hold up to me. Kevin Costner's still awesome, but anyway, I'm thinking of the Robin Hood that was the Disney cartoon way back in the day. It was a cartoon actually with animals for characters. Robin Hood was actually a fox. Anyway, at the start of the movie, the sheriff of Nottingham comes to town to collect taxes, and the different characters are hiding their money from him. They don't want to give. They're reluctant. They're under compulsion. Paul says, God is not the sheriff of Nottingham coming to pry your money out of your hands, and pastors are not to be like that either. No, God calls us to give as we have decided in our hearts. God loves a cheerful giver. So God is not as interested in what's going on in our wallets when we give as much as he is interested in what's going on in our hearts when we give. Do you give cheerfully or 
Do you give begrudgingly, reluctantly? If so, I almost want to say just keep your money. Because God loves, God wants cheerful givers, joyful givers, happy to give givers. God wants givers who see the cheerfully sacrificial example of Jesus and think to themselves, I want to be like that. I want to be sacrificial like Jesus was sacrificial. I want to be giving like Jesus was giving. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The author writes this, Hebrews 12, verse 2. He says, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame of the cross, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus knew that the cross was a shameful thing. It was a painful thing. It was an excruciating experience. But with strength, with joy, Jesus endured because he knew it's better to give than receive. That's the gospel, friends. Jesus gave up his right to judge us for our sin and instead was judged for us for our sin in our place. On the cross, he gave up his throne in heaven and was pinned to a cross on the earth, paying the penalty that we deserved so that we could be freed from that penalty. And so I urge you, trust in the generosity of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And as you trust in Jesus, if you have trust in Jesus, then we will become like Jesus in our generosity. So let's commit to give, let's prepare to give, let's give cheerfully, let's fulfill this ministry for the saints, let's fulfill this ministry for the church, let's fulfill this ministry for the poor, let's fulfill this ministry for the lost through financial generosity. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and our hearts are full of gratitude as we continue to reflect on the nature of who we are, recipients, and we reflect on who you are, a giver. You give, we receive. What do we have that we were not given? What do we have that we did not receive? God, we thank you and we praise you, our generous Father. Father, we also come before you grateful for your provision of Jesus, grateful for his broken body, grateful for his shed blood on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins so that we could be a part of your new covenant people. We could live, we could live under your grace in the same way those ancient Hebrews lived under that blood-soaked doorpost. We live under your grace in light of the blood of Christ. We thank you for your provision of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for your word. 
Even though it might feel redundant, even though it might feel superfluous, God, you are wise and you're speaking into our lives with truth and with love. And we pray that your word would have its full full effect, even on the deepest, darkest corners of our hearts, to make us more like Christ, to be who we were made to be, generous, giving open, willing, loving, sacrificial. Continue to work in us and make the church of Lapeer the image of Christ for a watching county and a watching world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.